Alright, alright. Welcome back to Drop Pass Podcast, you beauty. It's been a long bit needed break, and now that the batteries have been recharged, we will start to get back to our weekly schedule, and in the coming weeks, you can expect to see another guest on the show. And as we get closer to the start of the new NHL season, the previews are essentially going to start to roll up as well, where we go through each team's offseason and analyze the events while trying to predict the future before the first puck has been dropped across the ocean. Last episode was published about a month ago, where I announced my official offseason break, and if you haven't listened to that episode, you probably thought that this circus was closing down, but fear not. That ain't happening and now we start to get back into groove and I'm really excited for the future of this podcast and hopefully you are too. Even though I spent the past month doing other things and tried to take a break from the usual hockey stuff, I wasn't fully capable of avoiding the latest news, not that I truly actively tried to do that, but this break pretty much reset the memory card from the past year so I feel energized and fresh for the upcoming hockey season. But as I've said many times before, minor improvements are in the making, not that you would necessarily notice them right away, but hopefully these will impact the show long term and we get this thing slowly but surely to a whole nother level. When it comes to this week's episode, I'll try to keep things fairly tamed since, as you know, a lot has happened since last time, so there's a heck of a lot that I would like to cover right away, but... What I'm thinking is that we start by going over the most essential headlines from the NHL concerning signings, retirements, moves away from North America and other miscellaneous stuff, and then we end the episode by quickly going over the U20 World Championships, now that the tournament has finally been sealed with medals and everything. I think that should be a pretty good blueprint for the comeback episode, and I also have to mention that I'm still aiming to make that Q&A episode in the near future since... I was initially planning on doing it during the summer, but things don't always go as planned and thus it has been postponed for a later date, but I feel like it could be a fun episode to make and aim on airing it within the next month, hopefully, because also you guys are getting back into your own routines and hopefully have more time to spare so that we get questions about anything and everything, which will make it more interesting, so... Keep that in mind and interact once I announce the plan for that specific episode. But now, as you see, I've been missing this and missing you, and I'm already starting to blabber, so let's just get this thing officially going and begin this so-called new season of this podcast, as we usually do. And if you are a frequent listener, you know exactly how this thing goes. So, without further ado... Let's get going. Okay, we are officially back and better than ever. At least mentally, if that counts to something. And like I mentioned, a lot has happened since our last visit, so I think it should be wise to cover the most essential moves and news from the NHL to start things off and then make our way to U20 World Championship Tournament, which was uncommonly held during the summer break in July, after a total fiasco during the winter holiday break last year due to a specific global circumstance. Now though, we saw a full tournament which saw future superstars competing against one another, and the good thing is that this special occasion won't affect the timetable for this year's World Junior Tournament, So once again, we are going to see some of these young stars after Christmas as the tournament kicks off again in Canada on December 26th. But with that said, we move straight to NHL talk since we have a lot to cover and to get you back on track, we are going to start things off from the signings front since there has been plenty of bigger and smaller signings since the last episode. And now that even fewer free agents remain unsigned, the teams are starting to form their course and many players that haven't signed yet have leaped to other countries in pursuit of some playing time, so let's jump straight into the deep end, shall we? Starting from August 2nd, the Calgary Flames continue to tie up their future core as they resign both Oliver Shillington and Andrew Mangiapane to extensions and Philly also resigned rugged bottom six forward Zach McEwen to a one-year extension. Shillington's paper will cover the next two seasons with 2.5 million AAV and Mangiapane's contract is a three-year deal 
carrying a 5.8 million annual value. Both signings are detrimental for the team as they both have concreted their spots high in their lineup and deserves boost to their bank balances without questions. The next day the Devils and the Oilers were on the clock as well, as the Oilers signed their former first-round pick Keller Yamamoto to a two-year 3.1 million deal, and the Devils extended Jesper Brad for another season with 5.45 million annual cap hit. Both deals could be counted as bridge deals since Brad most likely for example was looking for a major raise after his career year, but the Devils front office were not willing to give him the money based on just one good year, and now he has to prove himself as a top end point producer as the team starts to claw its way to the top of the Metropolitan Division. Day after that, the Devils continued on the signings front as they handed Miles Wood another one-year extension with 3.2 million AAV. And with this move, it is starting to seem like the Devils are currently testing their current core for the future and are not willing to sign big extensions while they are transitioning from a rebuilding team to a contender and thus want to see which players should stay in the team long term and be part of the core heading forward. Some could say that this was an overpayment, especially when looking at Wood's production and injury history, but he brings his A-game to the rink each night, and for example, I'm a big fan of his run-and-gun grinding playstyle, so I like the signing by the Devils. Then next up was San Jose's turn to pass out an extension, as they inked one of their younger top 4 blue liners to a 4-year extension, carrying a 3.25 AAV, and his name is Mario Ferraro. As the Sharks are trying to stay afloat in the Pacific Division, they need muscle for the future and Federaro certainly is amongst that group thanks to his leadership ability and strong presence on both ends of the ice. When you look at their current contract situation, you can say that they could have done a lot worse and he will remain in San Jose for years to come. And as I've stated previously, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him wear the C at some point in California. Very deserved extension and currently one of the better deals in the Shark Tank by far. And some could say that it has been a historical offseason for the Flames to this point. You might want to up the ante a bit since next up was time for Jonathan Huberto's extension. And boy did they break the bank when signing this offensive juggernaut to their top line. 8 years, 10.5 million annual cap it. How? are you doing? I guess I now get why the Panthers were willing to ship him elsewhere when I saw the numbers in his paycheck, especially when considering his presence or the lack of it for the Panthers during the last postseason run. He will become the 8th highest paid player in the NHL alongside Carey Price, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, and when looking at their accomplishments in the league, you may scratch your head and wonder if this was deserved or not. I mean, there are certainly worse deals on top of this list, without a doubt, and Huberto now has multiple plus 100 point seasons, but in my papers the postseason success counts as well, so until he and the Flames get past the second round, I'm going to keep this deal in the same category as Mitch Marner's deal, but let's not hold our breaths, cause postseason is still long ways away from this moment. And don't get me wrong, Huberto is undoubtedly one of the best point producers and more than anything elite passers in the league, which justifies his big dig paycheck. But we've seen what these types of deals can cost in the worst case, so these are always gambles because we are not playing with Monopoly money anymore. But after this cautionary speech, I want to say that I still fully believe that he will succeed in Calgary and that he will match the AAV value on the ice for the Flames, but like I said, it's a huge investment and they still have to sign weaker long term. And in the worst case, if this core which they've now built is not ready for prime time, it could be time to finally rip the band-aid and start a complete rebuild. But that could be easier said than done when, for example, looking at San Jose's current situation. And therefore, I believe that the team will sink or swim with this core and hope that they can finally achieve their major short-term goal, like the Blues and the Avs did regarding Lord Stanley Trophy. But that's that for Huberdo's huge extension. We are once again going to talk about this more in the season previews, but for now we are going to leave that aside and move onwards with our off-season signings. 
Couple days later, a bunch of more minor signings were made as the Preds inked Yakov Trenin's big body to their bottom six for the next two years with 1.7 million AAV. Keegan Colasar was signed to a three-year 1.4 million extension by the Golden Knights. Tyler Benson earned one-year deal with the Oils. Maxime Lajoie was signed by the Canes. And finally, on August 7th, the Jets re-signed 26-year-old winger Mason Appleton to a three-year 2 million deal. Depth signings altogether, and the next day the Bruins kicked their tires concerning the upcoming season. And just like the rumors told us, David Krejci was going to make his comeback to NHL as he was signed to a one-year team-friendly 1 million deal. And within the same hour, Patrice Bergeron had decided to go at it once more with the Bees with 2.5 million deal. And just like that, the old guard was back in B-Town to hunt down another playoff appearance in the East. Some might say that the desperation is starting to leak over and many believe that even with these additions the Bruins are going to miss the playoffs since you still have to keep in mind that both McAvoy and Marshawn are going to miss significant amount of time due to their offseason surgeries and thus they might be battling an uphill battle against teams that have strengthened even more from the previous season. They also resigned their GM Don Sweeney at the end of June, which has been one of the main talking points amongst their fans and the people covering the Bruins, but only time will tell how these moves affect the outcome once the upcoming season rolls around. H is certainly going to start to show in their game, and even though Krejci has a lengthy history in the NHL, today's game is on a whole nother level pace-wise, and the young players are ruling it so. One year spent away from the NHL ice, could become costly when considering his comeback to the bright lights. His hockey IQ hasn't gone anywhere, and we could see the chemistry between him and Pasternak in the World Championships, but if his legs are not on pace with the rest of the guys, like it seemed in that tournament, it could be a challenging year for both the Bruins and Krejci, since time and space will be cut in half once we move to the smaller ice surface. Anyways, happy to see him in Boston, but in my mind this is the last ditch effort for them to keep the team competitive and it's going to be interesting to see what their heading is going to be when the first puck drops to welcome the new season. That same day they also signed off-season acquisition Pavel Zaka to one-year 3.5 million deal, while Golden Knights and the Yotes signed their top nine contributors Nikola Wa and Lawson Kraus to extensions. Both guys were signed to five-year deals, Ua will earn 3 million each season in Vegas if they don't decide to trade him elsewhere, of course. And Krause's yearly cap hit will be approximately 4.3 million for the next five seasons. Both are strong bottom six slash top nine options and these deals are pretty movable on the league-wide level, so not huge investments by any means and both deals have some upside if they manage to find more offense to their game. Next up was Carolina's turn to make their mark in the free agency once again as they resigned right-headed winger Martin Hs to a two-year, three-million deal. And during that same week, Jake Wallman, David Gustafson, Caleb Jones, Philip Kurashev, Jake Lassishin, and Paul Cotter earned extensions. Meanwhile, Stanley Cup champion Jack Johnson was signed by the Blackhawks for the next year. But that really wasn't the big news piece which I had in mind concerning the free agent market, but... More so, the new cup champion Nazem Kadri, who remained unsigned until the very next day. And the team that was able to claim his services was, well, if you paid any attention to the ongoing offseason and seen which teams have been the most active, you can place a safe bet that it wasn't the Islanders, but the team that has had a pretty big overhaul this summer, the Calgary Flames. Yes. Once again. Seven years. 7 million on the dot was his price tag this year, and boy oh boy, the Flames are starting to be fairly dangerous team on paper. Like many have said, the Flames are the first team ever to get even better after losing their top two point getters, and I'm on that same boat, but only push the brakes until we actually get some results from their offseason actions. Because we've seen paper tigers before in this league, so I'm going to approach this situation with cautious optimism. Kadri is a great addition to their top six and now Backlund can truly focus on the defensive side of the puck so their bottom six should be even stronger heading into next year. The concern here is that Kadri is 31 years old and once this deal ends he's going to be 38 so way past his prime or at least that's how I see it so 
this really could come bite them in the ass. But as we've seen from their most recent moves, they aim to win within this next 2-3 year window. And after that, they can recalculate their heading and make moves that are necessary for the future. But for now, this team is fully committed and is most likely going to battle against their province rival if they aim to hoist the big one at the end of next season. But then, to our headline of the episode. The Islanders finally announced something related to their offseason moves. Can you actually believe it? Well, before you jump out of your pants, I need to tell you that all they did was announce extensions, so yeah, at least we heard something finally from the grumpy old Lou. Alex Romanov, 3 years, 2.5 million, Noah Dobson, 3 years, 4 million, and Kiefer Bellows, 1 year, 1.2 million. Do you need separate notes for that? Yeah, me neither. Well, at least the Islanders were now on the board when it comes to contracts, and one can only guess what the outcome of this highly active offseason is going to end up being. But more about the Isles in the future season preview episode. That same day, the Sharks resigned Noah Gregor to a one-year deal, and then two days from that, two free agent veterans were claimed, as first the Kings signed Paul Stasny to one-year 1.5 million deal, and then the big man himself, Phil Kessel, was headed to Vegas as he also signed a similar deal with the Golden Knights. Interesting picks for both teams, and I'm keen to see what kind of impacts these veterans are able to make in their new teams, which are both craving for long postseason runs in both conferences. Also a couple days later, the Bolts and the Wings were added, as Philip Sedina and Philip Myers were into extensions. Myers earned a one-year deal with the Bolts after heading to Florida as a piece in the McDonough trade, and Detroit's first-round pick, Sedina, earned a three-year, 1.825 million show-me kind of deal, as he has lots to prove, but is on a short lease in the stacked Red Wings prospect pool. This deal enables the Wings to test the market if he isn't able to overcome his scoring issues and could be headed elsewhere already next year if the heading doesn't change on that front, or at least that's how I see his situation. Three-year deal creates certainty for other teams as well if he ends up leaving the Motor City, but on the hindsight could be a bargain if he lights up the lamp for the Wings already next year. Myers, on the other hand, was an add-on with small upside and provides the Bolts with some additional presence in the blue line when injuries start to occur. Then at the end of August, the Sabres continued to build their future core as they resigned goaltender Ukko Pekkalukkonen to a two-year deal and inked their last year's top point-getter, Tage Thompson, to a seven-year 7.14 deal, so he's going to stay in Buffalo for the foreseeable future. This is pretty much the opposite of the Jesper Brad deal, where the Sabres signed an RFA to a long-term deal with a career year in his back pocket, so at least we have the opposites to look at when the stats are finalized at the end of next season. It's a lot to give up in my mind, especially to a player that really hasn't proved his offensive upside on a yearly basis yet, but on the hindsight though, now he has proven that he has great offensive tools in his disposal, so that at least convinced the Sabres management as they were willing to spread the love when it came down to dollar value. But we'll see if he ends up on the trade block or holds on to his last year's production, which would be the ideal situation for the Sabres, but once again, they are the Sabres, so nothing is out of question. That same day, the Minnesota Wild as well claimed centerman Sam Steele to their bottom six after the Ducks had decided to not resign him, and obviously, Wilds GM Bill Guerin is hoping to rejuvenate former first-rounders offensive game in Minnesota, but until that happens with this deal, they just add depth to their winger or center spot. Then the Stars began the month of September with a bang as they resigned their playoff hero Jake Ottinger to a three-year bridge deal, carrying a $4 million annual cap hit, but if his playoff performance was a sign of what's to come, he could be closing on prices and Bobrovsky's salaries once this deal is over. Great deal for the Stars, who still have Robertson to sign, and on the hindsight, Ottinger also adds few zeros to his paycheck with his most recent playoff performance. I believe that this was only the beginning for him, and if the Stars are able to compete on the other areas of the ice, they should be competing for a playoff spot again in the tough Western Conference, but we'll see what eventually happens. The next day, UFA Sam Gagne 
and Ryan Murray were claimed from the free agent list as both guys signed one-year minimum wage deals. Gagnier with the Jets and Murray was added to Edmonton's back end to bring some depth in case of emergency and to somewhat replace retired Duncan Keith if one of their young blue liners isn't able to do so next season. Once again beneficial depth additions for both teams and at this point we can expect huge upsides from these guys but nevertheless now they were off the board and have new places to stay for the upcoming year. And just so that we wouldn't get condescended the Canucks finally decided to bury the rumors surrounding JT Miller as they inked him to a 7 year 8 million AAV extension which finally closes the book on his part regarding a possible departure from Western Canada. Very deserved deal in my eyes. He has been their most consistent offensive producer through the past couple of years and will be one of their main cogs in their hunt for a playoff spot. Some could say that the contract was pretty rich but the numbers in this case don't lie. He has proved his worth in New York as well as Tampa Bay and most recently Vancouver so I don't see any issue in this deal. Quite vice versa when looking at Vancouver's latest deals over the past couple of seasons. But that's pretty much it concerning Miller's deal. Next Yevgeny Svechnikov was headed to San Jose as he signed one year minimum deal with the Sharks and a couple days later Ottawa signed Eric Brandstrom to one year 900k deal which pretty much set the tone for young blue liners seeking for their massive paydays but actually getting one year bridge deals. I had really high hopes for his success in the NHL but seemingly either the ceiling has come down or he just isn't able to find that next step to become a lethal offensive minded blue liner on the next level. But that happens every once in a while and he still has some room to grow so I wouldn't necessarily throw away hope on his part and more so hope that he's able to elevate his game now that he's aware of his current status within the organization. Make it or break it was written in the paper according to my sources which are not extremely reliable not self-produced certainly so take it with a grain of salt but that didn't end up being the only deal the sense dealt out that week since two days later it was Tim Stutzler's time to earn his big boy paycheck as their management just said fuck it and pumped out an 8-year deal carrying an 8.35 AAB and as you can probably expect their press hopes that this deal becomes a bargain in a couple of years and they were willing to give him the big bucks even though he really hasn't reached any unthinkable milestones but has showed real promise during the first few seasons in the show. And as you can now probably tell teams have different tastes when it comes to young players and long-term deals some like to place their bets in line with their possible returns and others want to take things slow and gather chips little by little. Once again this deal has some serious upsides since Stutzle undoubtedly belongs to the elite group of future superstars who are still one step away from their real breakthrough so I see this deal as a great one for the sense and Ottawa's GM Pierre Dorian's reputation is on the rise on my papers with these moves he's made this offseason. And while we're on the topic of future stars, the Canadians also inked two of their top prospects to multi-year deals as newly acquired Kirby Doc was signed to a 4-year 3.36 million deal and goaltender prospect Caden Primo was signed to a 3-year 890k extension. The hope here is that within those 3 years Primo is able to establish his presence as their future starter while Doc breaks out of his cage and solidifies his spot in their top 6 but that would be the best case scenario and a lot still has to happen before that becomes reality so I'm going to keep my eye on their progression and update you on this once some time has passed by. And then we finally arrive to last remaining signings that we currently know of and the teams involved include Colorado, Los Angeles and St. Louis. First the Kings signed defenseman Mikey Anderson to a one-year one million bridge deal following in Eric Brandstrom's footsteps. Then Colorado claimed Evan Rodriguez off the free agent list as one of the more sought-after players with one-year two million sheet. And lastly St. Louis spread the dollars by signing their top-end right winger Jordan Cairo to a massive eight-year 8.125 million contract extension. Now they've locked up both Robert Thomas and Cairo who are most likely going to be their one-two punch up top and don't have to worry about their contracts for a little while. 
Both guys are very deserving of these long-term deals. And once again, St. Louis is betting on those deals becoming bargains in one to three years. So not an overpayment in this case whatsoever. There were a few minor signings in the middle as well, but I wanted to get out the most notable signings that we missed during the past month. And the rest of them will or will not get mentioned during the season previews, depending on their significance and NHL probability. But until then, you don't have to worry about missing on any deals since I think we've covered at least most of them. And if not, World Wide Web is in your disposal. So please go ahead and even fact check these if you think I haven't done my homework. But that's it regarding signings, and while we are still on the topic, we might as well mention two trades that happened in between these episodes. And I'll also point out guys that have jumped the ship and moved across the ocean to play on the European continent. The first trade saw goaltender Aiden Hill moving to Vegas in exchange for 2024 fourth round pick and this deal took place after the news spread about Robin Lehner's injury which most likely sees him miss the entirety of the 2022-2023 campaign and since the Golden Knights would have headed to the new season with tandem of Thompson and Brossois they decided to bolster their blue paint by adding another goalie to their rotation. He has showed his upside during his stint in Arizona but does he find similar magic in Vegas remains to be seen and more than that I'm eager to see if Logan Thompson is able to take their crease by storm since he racked up good numbers in few games he played for the Knights last season so he is one of the breakout candidates for me heading into next season. The other trade occurred a few days later which saw defenseman Dmitry Kulikov changing his address to West Coast as the Minnesota Wild dealt him to Anaheim in exchange for future considerations. And like I mentioned during the massive free agency episode, I saw him being the most likely trade candidate for the cap crunched wild. And now they alleviate some space to their cap ceiling and still remain strong on the blue line, even after losing one of their top six options. This also strengthens Doc's back end, which shows a movement at the end of last season and creates competition for the remaining spots on their blue line. And this isn't a move which automatically makes them a candidate to win the division, but After the departure of Lindholm and Manson and adding Klingberg and Kulikov to replace them is a wise move which could haul even bigger return at the next trade deadline. So no major deals by any means but necessary ones for sure and as we get closer to the start of the new campaign we could see a few more trades as teams are starting to mix and match their lineups ahead of the first puck drop. But that's all from the trade front. Next up, players heading to Europe, so buckle up. And since we really haven't covered this side pretty much at all this summer, I will quickly go over all the major names that have changed continent, starting from the beginning of July, when Mikko Koskinen packed his bags and headed to HG Lugano. And a few months later, veteran Brett Connolly joined him after being bought out by the Blackhawks. Right on his tail was Juho Lamikko, who was headed to Zurich Lions alongside defenseman Dean Kuken, while former oiler Colton Sevier's next destination was going to be SC Bern. Sami Niku was headed back to Finland and will suit up with his youth team Jyp. Teemu Kivihalme also makes his comeback to Finland with TPS. Juuso Rikola was headed to Oskarshamn in the SHL, while Juhan Larsson joins Brynäs. Otto Sampi is also returning to Liga and suits up for Rauman Lukko this upcoming season. Artur Ruotsalainen also makes his return to Europe and will represent EHC Kluden next season. Niko Huhtanen returns from his North American journey and reps Mikkelin Jukurit. And same goes with Eetu Tulola, who returns back from Stockton and puts on Ilves jersey once the Liga season starts. Kasper Björkqvist will strengthen Karpat's squad this upcoming season. Also Tarmo Reunanen returns to Lukko for the next season. Michael Raffle decided to return to Europe as well and will represent Lausanne HC this year. Jonathan Dahlen makes his comeback to Team Raw with a lifelong deal. Janne Kuokkonen also heads to Switzerland and will represent HC Freiburg for the next season. And after a short stint with the Yotes, Harry Sateri is headed to EHC Beal. Stefan Matteau will represent Linköping next season. Petr Lindbom heads to Frölunda to replace Otto Leskinen on their back end who heads to Montreal for another go. Carter Rowney joins the Leuven Frankfurt. Alexander Texier has opted to play in Switzerland for personal reasons, 
And lastly, Dominic Simon returns to Sparta Prague after a lengthy stay in North America. Cedric Paquet, Alex Radulov, Maxim Mamin, Frederick Clayson, and Dimitri Askin belong to a blacklist which covers players heading to Red Country alongside few other plugs, but that's enough said regarding that specific league. They will enjoy their paychecks in peace, that's for sure. And just so that we wouldn't miss anything before we move to our last segment of this episode, we will go through the main topics surrounding the NHL, whether it is injury, retirement or other headline-related news piece, so that we are on pace with all that has happened when I was gone from the social media. On the retirement front, the well-known names alongside Duncan Keith are Andre Sekera, Greg Paterin, Carl Turris and most recently Matthew Perrault. Keith's number two will most likely get in the rafters of the United Center in Chicago, just like Marian Hossa will get his night. But when it comes to other names on the list, you probably won't see many ceremonies held for these guys. But for example, Sequeira will earn some honors for his long NHL career, and especially as a player coming out of a growing hockey country, which future is looking brighter and brighter by the day. And evidence of that can be found from the most recent NHL entry draft board while few other names are following in their footsteps. But all in all, not a star-studded retirement group, but lengthy careers unite this bunch, that's for sure. Also, Ben Bishop is joining Dallas's coaching staff, and even though he hasn't publicly announced his retirement, it is pretty obvious that he will remain in the LTIR until his current contract runs out, just like many other veterans have done, and which is becoming the new trend in the NHL. In other news... This year again, the NHL will introduce new reverse retro jerseys and we've already seen few leaks of those, so at least I'm excited to see few new tarps alongside the ordinary ones. And in my mind, this trend should continue in the coming years as well, or alternatively, the league could come up with other concepts such as the city, which has already been implemented in the NBA and would be a cool idea for the NHL jerseys as well. Adidas won't continue its partnership with the NHL after the 2023-2024 season, so that could be a marketing point for some manufacturer who wants its piece from the juicy NHL cake. Two original six teams also named their new captains this summer when the Rangers announced that Jacob Trouba was going to carry the C on his chest for the upcoming season, and likewise the Canadians just few days ago named young centerman Nick Suzuki as their new El Capitan. Huge honors for both guys since these two are very historical franchises and usually it takes more than skill to become the leader of these organizations. Truba has become the blue line leader for the Rangers and Suzuki is slowly becoming one of the elite two-way centers in the NHL and the extension he signed last October most likely sealed the deal front office-wise and they were willing to put trust on him when it came to future of this franchise. Currently, six teams still remain without a captain. Anaheim, vacant since Ryan gets last retirement this year. Arizona, vacant since Oliver ekman larsens departure last year. Buffalo, vacant since Jack Eichel trade. Calgary, vacant since last year's expansion draft, where Mark Giordano was selected by the Kraken. Philadelphia, vacant since Claude Giroux trade last deadline. And same goes with Seattle, who dealt their captain Mark Giordano to Toronto last spring. We could see a few changes to this list before the first puck drop if front offices want someone representing their teams this year. So we wait to see which teams have new leaders in place after the training camps have ended and groups have been formed. And while we're speaking of training camps, it has to be mentioned that lots of professional tryout contracts have been handed out and some guys won't stick with those teams. So I've decided to leave them out until they sign actual contracts. And when it comes to remaining high-value restricted free agents, the list includes Jason Robertson as the top dog, Alex Formenton, Nick Hague, Bernd Hayden, Ryan McLeod, Rasmus Sandin, and Adam Ruzicka. So a few guys are still waiting for their paychecks, but I'm not expecting any of these guys sitting out. So to me, it's just a matter of time until these guys have been signed up. Not necessarily long-term, but nevertheless. We are going to cover the long-term injuries in our season previews, so at this point I think we've pretty much caught up where we left last time. So last, 
but certainly not least, we're going to take a glance at the 2022 World Junior Championships, which was a complete show from the Canadians. So let's head to see which players stood out in that tournament. And so we have arrived to our last main topic of this episode, the World Junior Championships. And first of all, it has to be said that it wasn't the same as usual now that the tournament was held during the summer. I mean, that showed in the attendance as well, even though the tournament was hosted in Canada and due to time zones plus the odd timing, I really just watched the last games from the semifinals onwards and checked the extended highlights from pretty much every game involving one of the top teams, so even I can't say that I was fully committed to this tournament like many, many others. Nevertheless, thank God for the extended highlights because without those this part would have been heck of a lot shorter but thanks to 15 minute highlight films I got some notes down and thus we might as well go through the main nations by their rankings. First though, let's tackle the main points, the medals, top scorers and goaltenders plus the all-star team. So just like many expected, the home team, Team Canada, took the trophy by not a large margin. And by that, I mean it was down to centimeters. And without Mason McTavish's heroics, the Finns would have taken the gold home. But this time, the star-studded Canadian team carried out their promise and Finns had to settle for silver in this year's tournament. Sweden took down Czechia and thus were the third-place team in the competition. Canadian hero Mason McTavish took home the scoring title with 17 points in 7 games, while the rest of the top 5 included names such as Jon Kim Kemel with 5 less points, Olin Zellweger with 11 points, while Logan Stankoven and Artur Atturaudan to top 5 with 10 points in 6 games. Jesper Wallstead was crowned as the best goaltender in the tournament, Finland's Kasper Putia was voted as the best defenseman, and the tournament's all-star team featured names Jesper Wallstead, Ingol, Emil Andre and Olin Zellweger as the top blue liners, and up top, Mason McTavish, Jan Mizak and Joachim Kemmel. Team-wise, Austria was the weakest team of the tournament by far and didn't have much to give when going up against other nations in their group, and finished with zero wins, four losses and a goal difference of minus 16 to their name. Switzerland and Slovakia as well were pretty much fighting above their weight class and ended up only winning one game each during the group phase. And especially Slovakia's performance was hindered by the absence of their top guns, Slavkovsky, Nemec and Mesar, which resulted in such lackluster performance. Their top prospect Dalibor Dvorsky had a decent showing in the tournament as a 17-year-old with two points in four games, and the lack of firepower up front was also prevalent in his game, but we are going to see his face again in the upcoming tournament, so hopefully he gets to improve upon this showing and gets to play alongside their other top guns and challenge for medals. Switzerland's top point getter in the tournament ended up being Moose head forward Attilio Biasca, who carried the team's offense on his shoulders while Preds pick Simon Nack showcased his responsible two-way game in the tournament but wasn't able to put up points like many expected and only racked up two goals in five games. Germany made their way to the quarterfinals but got eventually eliminated against the Finns. Their top player in the tournament was their top scorer Bennett Roshmi, who racked up five points in five games while defenseman Luka Munzenberger and Cavs draft pick Håkan Hanelt showed some promise but didn't have as huge impacts as many could have expected. Also, their top goalie prospect Nikita Kuap had somewhat underwhelming tournament, so the end result wasn't far from what many expected ahead of the competition. Latvia though was the surprise team in this year's tournament as they finished third in the group stage but got eventually kicked out when they faced up against Sweden in their elimination game. They fought hard against the Swedes in that game, but the lack of firepower ended up being their downfall. But overall, a great showing from a team that only made it to the tournament because the Russians and Belarus were suspended from this party. Their top players in the tournament were without questions their captain Ralf Bergmanis, who notched five points in five games as a defenseman 
and goaltender Bruno Bruveris, who racked up impressive .916 save percentage while facing 245 shots in four games. Bergmanis unfortunately took a costly penalty in their game against the Swedes, and that ended up costing them the game, but otherwise he was their best player in that tournament hands down, and I wouldn't be surprised if he sees his name getting called in next year's draft, if some team wants to take a look at him in the later rounds. Latvians were also missing their top forward Penguins pick Rivis Ansons, which made a significant dent to their offensive firepower, but Otherwise, they showed that they belong to the eight group and we will see them again in December when these nations go at it once again. The biggest letdown in this year's tournament was without a doubt Team USA who got eliminated in the quarterfinals by the Czechs and even though many were not expecting them to take home the trophy, this showing was embarrassing on many levels by one of the world's top hockey nations. But the silver lining here is that they get to avenge their lackluster performance before the year is over, when the puck drops again across their northern border. They finished first during the group stage, but already there you could see that they were not operating with similar firepower than years prior, which eventually resulted in them getting eliminated during the first elimination round. Top performers from the Team USA, Thomas Bordello, their best forward without a shadow of a doubt. Eight points in five games and he was their most dangerous player each time he stepped onto the ice. Carter Mazur continued to impress after his strong season in the NCAA and ended the tournament with seven points in five games while showcasing his pretty play style on their top lines. Matthew Coronado, seven points in five games. He's going to be lethal on the NHL ice once he makes the jump. Logan Cooley fulfilled the expectations and showed his high-end puck skills and passing ability. Luke Hughes, same thing, did what he could and was their best blue liner by far while showcasing his elite skating and offensive skill set. Brock Faber, their rock on the back end, ended the tournament with plus 10 on his plus-minus column. And alongside those guys, I also want to point out Landon Slaggard and Wyatt Kayser who are both Blackhawks picks who were the surprising names amongst their top dogs in this year's tournament and thus raised their stocks on the prospect rankings or at least the ones that I'm running. Their goalie, Caden Embarico, was solid in their crease but few soft goals ended up dropping his stats and I can say with confidence that with better goaltending they probably could have gone further since we knew that this was going to be their biggest question mark heading into the tournament but just so that I don't shove the blame on their crease, it has to be mentioned that they underachieved as a whole and were caught with their pants down in the elimination round. So hopefully they are able to bounce back and put up better showing later this year. So Czechia was the team that eliminated the USA's powerhouse in the quarterfinals, but ended up losing to Canada in the semifinals and ended the tournament without medal after losing to Sweden in the bronze medal game. They were good cohesively throughout the tournament and their top guns Jan Misak and Jiri Kulic carried the load offensively, which resulted in a fairly positive outcome for the Czechs. David Juricek's performance was, at least to me, a bit underwhelming and although 4 assists in 7 games is decent, his defensive game looked somewhat weak in that tournament, especially when compared to this year's men's world championships. But on the flip side, Stanislav Zvozil and Tomas Amara left positive taste in my mouth. Especially Zvozil's performance was one that I was already expecting last year. But it's good now to see that he still is one of the carrying forces in their team. And hopefully that carries over to the NHL ice, since the Blue Jackets would gladly take that while rebuilding their current core. Their goaltending was fairly awful throughout the tournament and especially Jan Bednar's performance left me shaking my head so again, with better goaltending they could have accomplished more in this year's tournament but that's a lot of ifs and buts so we are going to just leave it at that. And then we finally meet our podium nations, bronze goes to Sweden, Finland takes the silver and as mentioned Canada hoists the cup after a very dramatic final game of the tournament. First, we break down the Swedes, 
MVP of their tournament, hands down, Jesper Wallstedt. Many expected him to be the best goaltender of the tournament, and that is exactly what ended up happening. And I really can't praise this guy enough, and if you are a Minnesota Wild fan, you must be pretty ecstatic about this guy's future upside. Because he's going to be an elite goaltender on the next level without any questions and once again he proved his talents by posting 0.940 save percentage with 1.62 goals against average in five games absolute stud no questions asked the honorable mention for the swedes goes to emil andre who really broke out in this tournament after a strong season in the swedish second tier in my opinion, he was the best defenseman in the entire tournament and was extremely effective on both ends of the ice by recording 8 points in 7 games and by laying the body and shutting down opposition's top scorers. The Flyers have a gem in their hands and although he has still a long way until he reaches the NHL ice, the signs are promising and fans can expect to see this guy in their top 4 in the future alongside Cam York if his upward momentum stays on course. Another player that had a strong showing in a somewhat disappointing Swedish punch was Fabian Lussell, who notched 6 points in 7 games and his speed and skill were on display on most nights, and that is going to be the case on the next level as well, once he reaches that point. He was their most electrifying player on top, and could have benefited from better output from his counterparts, but at least he showed once again why he was worth the first round pick, and has now easily claimed the top spot in Boston's routed prospect pool. Isaac Rosen also showed his goal-scoring pedigree by notching four goals and one assist in seven games, and Oscar Olafsson also had a fairly satisfying tournament with five points in seven games while working hard on both ends of the ice. On the back end, Helge Granz and Simon Edvinsen were the standouts alongside Andre, but more production was expected from both these guys, if I may say so. Kalle Klang also impressed in two games he played, and the Ducks now start to have pretty stacked goalie roster in their system, which is surely not the worst problem to have. On the flip side, Liam Ögren and Jonathan Lekkerimäki were the biggest disappointments in their squad and one can only hope that they can improve in the next tournament because this showing was not what was expected from these two whatsoever. Overall, the team underperformed related to expectations and before the next tournament many players need to raise their levels if they wish to take any medals home from that battle. Finland, on the other hand, fulfilled the expectations set for them, and some might even say that they passed them by advancing to the finals. Joachim Kimmel, Aatu Räty, Robi Järventie, Roni Hirvonen and Topi Niemela were the expected suspects that were going to lead the team to success, and that was exactly the case. While Kasper Putio, Kasper Simon Taival, Joel Mättä and Alexi Heimosalmi supported the top guns with great results. Their main starter, Levi Merilainen, had a bit underwhelming tournament and was eventually replaced by their original backup, Juho Jatkola, during the last deciding games. Brad Lambert and Ville Koivonen were the biggest disappointments on their roster, Lambert only able to record one point in five games and getting snubbed at the back half of the competition. Meanwhile, Koivonen was brutally left without points and overall, their line of Koivonen, Helenius and Lambert just didn't work as it did during December, so they have lots to prove once the next tournament rolls around. Emil Viro and Joni Jurmo didn't shine with their point totals but were reliable options on their back end, and overall, the Finnish squad was cohesively very very strong as they usually are, which enabled them to go as far as they did in this year's tournament. Kemel and Ratu really shined in their lineup and Kemel's performance really created some speculation after falling down the draft ranking, so if this continues in the coming years, the Preds will make many teams look foolish for letting this guy slip, similar to Islanders the year prior. Same goes with Butio and Hirvonen, if these guys can keep their momentum going, they are going to be steals, but... There's still a long road ahead, so let's still keep our pants on and hope that both the Panthers and the Leafs are eventually going to benefit from drafting these young studs. 
And then we move to our final team, the champions, Team Canada. And at this point, all I really need to say is that their entire team was very impressive and well-structured throughout the tournament, which had offensive firepower, depth and shutdown ability all over their lineup. Individual names that really made their mark were Mason McTavish, of course, was their leader and looks ready for NHL. Olin Selweger, remember this name, has been mentioned a couple of times before, so now is the time to mark this guy down to your notes if you haven't done so already. Logan Stankoven continued his stellar year and greatly boosts the star's future projection. Kent Johnson will be an electrifying player to watch on the next level. Connor Bedard, well, you are going to hear this name mentioned multiple times on this podcast in the near future. The next big thing coming out of Canada and will battle against Austin Matthews for the Rocket Richard Trophy. Other names include Joshua Waugh, Willem Dufault, Ridley Gregg, Brennan Othman, Lucas Cormier, Tyson Forster, Will Kale, Donovan Sebrango, and finally their goaltender Dylan Garand. I mean, we are going to look back at this team at some point and think how beastly this team really was once they matured even more and made their jumps to the NHL ice. And pretty much from the get-go, there was zero doubts if this team was going to be able to bring home the trophy, because the firepower is just so tremendous. I could speak for hours about this team since it was that impressive and make breakdowns on all of these guys mentioned earlier, but I'm not going to do that at this moment and just let you chew down these names and come back to see what I've said about these guys in other prospect-related episodes. This year again, I aim to make two or three prospect coverages, so expect to see those at some point. And all I can really say at this point is that even though Finns didn't make their journey easy, there was little to no doubt, at least in my mind, when it came down to winner of this tournament. And what I've seen, that was the case for most fans and analysts around the sport. Domination is the right word, and that's where we are going to end this walkthrough. We've now covered all the topics I wanted to push out in this episode, so hopefully you've now caught up to pace and have filled your tank regarding the latest NHL news. Next week we are going to be back again with another episode. We'll see what the topic ends up being, but nevertheless, now we are back on track and feel ready for another year of NHL Amateur Hour. So hopefully you are going to ride with me to the sunset. I'm pretty much done for this week, so come back next week for another free show. And remember to follow the podcast on social media to not miss out on future uploads. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you being here and I hope that you have an awesome weekend. Much love. Stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time. All right.